Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So our series is called First. We're talking about first things. But today I want to talk about a first thing that must remain all the way through our Christian life. In other words, it's a thing that starts us off as Christians, but we mustn't jettison it as we move on as Christians. And yet you'll see today that many, many Christians in the New Testament started with this thing called their first love, that first blush of passion and joy and enthusiasm for the Lord. They started with that, but somewhere along the line, they became a Christian that was going through the motions. From the outside appearance, they looked like they were still good Christians, but the fire had gone out inside. And it's more common than you can imagine. And I want to talk about that today. I believe it will help you. And I know that because it's helped me. I can honestly say at least 10 times in my Christian life over the last two and a half decades, I've come to a place where I've had to come back and fall on my knees before God and say, God, I've lost my first love. And he put it back in me. And it can happen to you today. So Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is writing to a church, a particular church in a town called Ephesus, the Ephesian church. And he loves them. He knows them. But he says this to them, I know your works. Let's imagine he's saying it to us as a body of believers. He says, I know your works. I know all those things you're busy doing, all those good things that you guys are involved in. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You found them liars. You've persevered. You have patience. You've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. He's saying you are working hard. As far as good works go, as far as outward appearances go, well done. 10 out of 10. A star. Good church. Nevertheless, verse 4, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Now we might say, oh, that's a silly little thing. Your first love, yeah, you know, when I was a new believer, I was passionate. I would jump in worship, I'd lift my hands, I would go along to all the Bible studies, even if it was a ladies' Bible study and I was a man. I, I, just, I was so passionate, but now I'm more mature, I'm more uh, sensible. Love isn't everything, is it? The feelings aren't everything. Surely it's about doing the right things. Duty, obey, keep going. But Jesus says, remember from where you have fallen. He says it's not just something you can jettison. You've actually fallen from that first thing that you must remain, you must retain to be a Christian. Remember from where you have fallen. Wow, suddenly they're thinking, whoa, I'm quite a good Christian. We're quite a good church. We got these groups going and this ministry and this happening and we help these people and everyone says we're an alive church and wow, what a great church. Jesus says you've fallen. Whoa. Suddenly a bit of a slap in the face. Wake up call. Reality. Okay. Repent. That means, remember we spoke about this a few weeks ago, changing my mind, changing my direction, my heart breaks, I root up the things and I start to 
start again and rebuild again. Repent. Remember where you've fallen from. Repent. Dig up something that's gone wrong in the last few months or years. And do the first works. The first works. Now, when you read that, you might think that's saying, do more, be busier. But it's not the word works that he's emphasizing, it's the word first. He's saying, remember how you were and how you responded to God right at the beginning when you got saved. Remember those feelings. Remember those early, giddy, dizzy days. And go back to that. Remember, these guys don't have a problem with works. They are super busy. They are super good. They separate the good from the bad. They can discern the liars from the truth tellers. They know the knowledge of the Bible. They're busy in labor. They're patient. They persevere. It's not about what they're doing that's the problem. It's the firstness. Whatever was happening at the beginning. Now, at the beginning, they probably didn't have all the wisdom that they do now. They didn't have the discernment to say, that guy's a false teacher, that guy isn't. They didn't have the perseverance and the patience and the righteousness. They probably still had a whole lot of habits in their lives. Some of them smoked and some of them drank and some of them swore. And there was a whole lot of stuff. You say to me, Greg, how do you know all that was in the church at the beginning? Because when he says in Timothy, 1 Timothy, the qualifications for an elder, he says, not given to much wine, the husband of only one wife. There were people in the church who were drinking too much and married to more than one person. There was all sorts of issues in the church. But he said there was something about those first days that they need to recapture. And then he says, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. There is a danger of us losing our salvation. And I have been in that place where I thought I was a good Christian, and I was actually right on the precipice of a cliff of falling over and losing my salvation. But I thought I was good. And the reason I thought I was good was I was looking at my outward actions and what others thought of me, but I wasn't looking at the furnace, the passion, the love in my heart, which had gone out. Jesus, help us today. Amen? Jesus, help us to find our first love. So that's the Ephesian church. I'd like to look at the Corinthian church for a bit. The Corinthian church had a similar problem. Let me just upfront say to you that the problem is threefold, usually. The way that I lose my first love is there's three issues that creep in. Number one, false teaching. I'm taught something that's not true and it causes me to believe something that's not true and it causes me to go the wrong direction. Number two is a pride, an, an attitude problem where I am no longer just grateful like a little child, just gleeful receiving a gift. I'm now proud and I'm think I'm, I think I'm the bee's knees and God is quite lucky to have me in, on his team. So uh, false teaching, pride. And then the third one is relying on outward acts instead of on love, on passion inside. Those are the three causes of me going off track. And we're going to see it in the Corinthian church, chapter 1, verse 22. He says, Jews request a sign. What's a sign? It means a miracle. 
Jews request a, a, a miracle to, to say that you're a mature Christian or that something's from God. And Greeks seek after wisdom. What's wisdom? The Greeks were philosophers, and they loved to debate ideas and theories and concepts. And Paul, let me just give you a little bit of a history lesson. The Corinthian church was in Corinth on the, the southern coast of Asia Minor, and Athens, which is in Greek, he says Greeks seek after wisdom, Athens was just above Corinth, and in Paul's travels, when he went to different cities and he started different churches, he went to Corinth straight after he'd been in Athens. And let me just read you what he says, what it says about his time in Athens, Acts chapter 17. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler say? Others said, he seems to be proclaiming foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, and he gives a long, reasoned, intellectual, professional speech. It doesn't say this in Acts 17, but I think Paul, you know, Paul was a great mind and a great thinker, and he was surrounded by all these great thinkers and philosophers, and he thought, let me impress them, and he starts quoting poetry and, and other thinkers and philosophers, and he, he gets very clever. And at the end of his time there, um, it says, when they heard of the resurrection, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him and believed, Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. There's no mention of a church being started in Athens. And Paul always managed to get a church going, wherever he went. Even in a little town called Troas, in Acts chapter 16, it, it talks about him um, going through Troas and just stopping there on the way to Philippi. But he started a church there. Later on, we see him going back to Troas, and there's a church there. Everywhere he went, he started a church. But the one place he didn't manage to start a church was Athens because he got too clever. He tried to get too clever with his theology. That's just my opinion. But the reason I think that is because in Corinth, the very next place where he goes, he says this. So he said, we've already read that, he says the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks demand wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block 
and to the Greeks, foolishness. And then a little bit later, he says, Brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, when I came to you, I decided I'm not going to be wise this time. I'm just going to talk about Jesus and him crucified. I decided to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And my speech was a, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It wasn't so much the signs and wonders that he did, although there were probably those, but he was saying, I'm just going to preach Christ crucified, and the Holy Spirit's power is going to be on those words so much that people are going to see Jesus on the cross in their imaginations, and they're going to realize, Jesus died for me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. One thing I know, I once was blind, but now I see. It's just like, let's get it back to the basics. Let's tell them about Jesus on the cross, crucified, and forget all this cleverness of philosophy. And the Corinthians had missed it. Some of the Corinthians were going after signs and wonders, and some of them were going after wisdom, and they'd forgotten the basics and so at the end of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, he says, Brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, the 12, over 500, um, and various other people, James, and the other apostles, and Paul. And he says, and those 500, many of them are still alive today, you can go and see them. In other words, he's saying, if you're looking for signs and wonders, the gospel of Jesus dying and rising again, and there are physical witnesses, eyewitnesses you can speak to, that is the sign you need. And if you're looking for wisdom, all the wisdom you need is the fact that Jesus died for your sins. Does that mean that I don't need to learn more about God and the Bible? No, no, I learn it, but I never let go of this essential element which causes love and humility and passion to be in my heart. Because when I learn a whole lot of clever things, and I think that the, the cross and the crucifixion is a silly little thing, what happens is I, I get proud in my heart and my mind, and I start to think I know more, and I'm clever, and, and I start to rely on myself, and the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so I think I'm a good Christian because I've got so much knowledge, wisdom, philosophy, or I think signs and wonders are, are what it's all about, or I think good works are what it's all about, and on the outward appearance, I think I'm great, but inside my love has died. The, the fire has gone out because I'm not relying on grace anymore. I'm relying on my own cleverness, my own works, or something like that. Okay, I'm going to just explain one more church to you. There are others that I could speak of. The Roman church. 
he says it's by faith from first to last. I could speak about the Romans, the same problem happened there. They jettisoned that first love. I could speak about the Colossian church. In Colossians 2 verse 6, he says, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Don't let anyone take you captive or cheat you through deceptive, empty deceit and philosophy that relies on the traditions of men or the basic principles of this world. Again, exactly the same. The Colossians lost their first love because they let people deceive them with clever philosophy and going through good works and they started trying to obey a whole lot of feasts and rituals and things. And he said, you've lost your first love. Friend, you might say, this is very interesting. How do I know if this applies to me? Is there a passion in your heart? You might still know a lot of stuff in your head. You might still be doing a lot of good works. That's not a bad thing. But the most important thing is your first love still there. Is that what's driving you? Or are you going through the motions because it's what you've always done? It's what your family expects of you? It's just a habit? You're worried about what others may think? Or are you driven by a love for God that makes you excited to serve Him? If you are, then that first love is still there. If you're not, I'm going to show you how we can get it back today. So Galatians. Chapter 5 is a summary. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So the Galatian church started well, and I'm just going to read you a selection of a couple of verses to show you what happened. Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And then he says, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. He says, the original gospel you got was one of grace, and you are quickly turning to a different gospel that requires grace plus a whole lot of works for you to be pleasing to God. And later on, he's going to say, you've fallen away. Just because you've moved your mind and thinking away from that, you've fallen away from grace. You've been estranged from Christ. Chapter 3, this is the most descriptive passage. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. He's saying to them, when I first came to you, Remember what I said? I clearly portrayed Christ as crucified. In other words, remember my first sermons to you, Galatians. They were descriptive sermons of Jesus dying on the cross for you. Remember, Galatians, what you first felt when I described that to you. Remember how you felt and how you responded. You felt humbled. You realized Jesus has paid the penalty for the sin that I deserved Wow, I'm so grateful. I'm so humble. I can't rely on my good works. I just rely on his sacrifice. And joy and grace and obedience and worship sprang out of you when you saw Jesus on the cross crucified. He said, I'm, I'm amazed that um, you're moving away from that. Before your eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. This only I want to learn from you, Paul says. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He says, when you first heard about Jesus dying on the cross, you received the Holy Spirit. You were filled with the Spirit. You received God's love in your heart. Did that come because you were good or because you simply believed gratefully? He says, you started in the Spirit by just believing. Now, why are you trying to be made perfect or be mature by doing good works and relying on your own strength? He's saying, go back to the first things, exactly what Jesus said in Revelation 2 to the Ephesians. Remember, repent, redo. And that's what Jesus says to us today. So how do we do this? How do we do it? I'm gonna ask us to do this now. No more theory, let's get practical. Remember, remember, that's the first step. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Remember when you had a joy and a passion in your heart. Remember when you didn't rely on how good you were or how clever you were or a whole lot of theory and philosophy in your brain. Remember when you came to Christ as a little child and you said, Jesus, Thank you for dying for me. I don't deserve anything. I've got nothing that I can bring with me from my past good works to offer you for salvation. Nothing, it's all useless. It's garbage, it's rubbish. I just accept your blood as payment for my sins. Remember that day, remember. And then he says repent. Repent of allowing false teaching or false teachers or some wrong concept of God to get in there and make you think that you are good enough or that you deserve something or that your good works will somehow make you important to God. Repent of all that wrong thinking and say, Lord, I just want to believe it's only your grace. Does that mean I don't learn things? No, I still learn things. Does that mean I don't do good works? No, I still do good works. But it comes out of love instead of being something that dampens my love. Remember, repent, and then redo. Can you remember those first prayers that you prayed? They were haltering, stammering prayers. <laughs> they weren't eloquent. You didn't know the lingo, the jargon, the Christian way of praying. You didn't say, oh, Lord, if we beseech thee in this thy season of thy brethren, or all this weird Christian way that we talk. You didn't have the, the right way of, of seeming Christian. You just spoke simple, honest words. You said, God, here I am. I've got nothing to hide. You can see me through and through. You know me. You are humble and childlike. God doesn't want us to be childish. He wants us to grow up, but we remain childlike in our dependence and our love for him. We never lose sight of the cross of Christ. And the first step, which for me, I, I mentioned earlier that it's happened to me, the first step has always been stop relying on how good and clever I am, come back to the cross and be honest in my prayers. You say to me, Greg, how do I be honest in my prayers? It requires an element of self-awareness where you say, you look in yourself, you say, what's happening in my heart right now? God, I'm feeling dry. I haven't been close to you for a long time. Others might think I'm strong, but God, I'm feeling dry. 
God, I'm feeling confused. You say to me, am I allowed to pray those kind of prayers to God? Friend, just read the Psalms of David and you will see how honest you're allowed to be before God. How long, O Lord, will you wait before you answer me? God, a band of evil men have encircled me. Break the jaw of my enemies. He was as honest as can be, and we need to be honest. If we're not honest, if we're putting up a facade of saying the right words in the right way or just going through the motions, then we've lost our first love. We have to be honest. God, this is me. I am feeling this. I've done this. I need you. I've acted to others, but actually, God, this is the real me. Look. Look at me, God. Look at my heart. And you don't even have to, you don't have to say anything in a, in a formula. You can just st- sit before him, just not even mouthing any words, just saying, here I am, God. Just honesty before him. And then you see Christ on the cross, and you realize his blood is so precious, the blood of God himself being shed to cleanse the sins of me and the whole world. That blood is so precious and so powerful, there's no good work, there's no clever philosophy that I could add to his sacrifice. I just let it wash me. I'm a, I'm, I've got nothing to offer. And you say, thank you, God. He loves me. He accepts me, not because I'm good or I've been to church or I've done all these extra things or I've learned all these things. He just loves me. Jesus has forgiven me. And that is the start of that first love. That little flame, you know when a flame in a boiler goes out and you light it and there's just that little and it just comes back onto life. That's the start of your first love growing again. And you revel in his grace and you thank him for it, and you love him, and you realize, you humble yourself. You say, God, I'm nothing. I can offer nothing. I'm not better than anyone else, and I don't deserve salvation, but thank you for forgiving me, and you let his grace wash you, fill you, and the first love starts to bubble up, and the powerful Christian is the one who keeps his first love right till the end, but then allows that to generate good works and wisdom from God, not weird human tradition, and then we have something powerful going on. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.